This is the night when all who believe in Christ are delivered from the gloom of sin and restored to grace. History is a funny thing. It can be a teacher. It can be a mirror. It can be a catalyst to help us change. Or it can be an anesthetizing agent that keeps us from ever changing. History can be the story of how we grow, and it, or it can chronicle how we fail to grow. We modern humans, who have it all figured out, of course, have a distinct view of history. We see it as a linear path, a path of advancement, of growth, of innovation at times. Yes, we have been thrown off our game over these past two years, But deep down, don't we just kind of hope that this pandemic has has really just been a big speed bump on our path to progress? So often, though, our story is confused by a curious habit of forgetfulness, obscuring our vision to the point of blindness. Indeed, that forgetfulness is so seductive that some would enshrine it in law. As legislators here in Ohio sought to parrot Florida's toxic don't say gay bill, they chose to do it one better by including the 1619 Project and systemic racism as, big air quotes here, divisive topics that can't be mentioned to children and youth of a certain age. This is forgetfulness by fiat. The Israelites, of course, were as forgetful a bunch as we are. They'd escape the hopelessness of generational slavery. And yet, when the fear and uncertainty of escape became clear, when they realized that they didn't know when they were going to arrive, or what it was going to look like, or even where their next meal was coming from, suddenly their memory started to warp a little bit. Maybe it wasn't so bad before. You know, not perfect, but at least we knew where we stood. They said to Moses, what what have you done? Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us here? What, we, we couldn't die back there? You had to bring us to where we could suffer first? They're a bit forgetful, and so are we. But God reminded by reminding and delivering at the same time. God reminded the people not only what they'd been through, but who they were and who God was. God hardened the hearts of the heart of Pharaoh, and he did it. Pay attention here. God hardened Pharaoh's heart by telling him what he wanted to hear. Oldest trick in the book. And then he separated the waters for the people to pass through. This night, well, the first part of it really, is about two things at once. It's about remembrance and it's about deliverance. This is the beginning of Easter. And Easter, of course, has always been our big event. 
the highest of our holy days. And we have gathered to celebrate the resurrection since, by some accounts, the first Sunday after the, Jesus emerged, after Jesus emerged from the tomb. And the vigil was a tradition of the first centuries of the church, and it lasted the whole night. Believers would stay up, praying and singing until the dawn when the catechumens were baptized by the bishop in a nearby body of water. This meant, by the way, actually going to a body of water. So if we wanted to do it old school, we have a bishop, we, we have a catechumen, and we've got the Cuyahoga. So, Tom, if you're up for it, we can make it by midnight. Are we going? Who's with me? Let's go. Keep your candles lit. The vigil, of course, this story of, of creation and salvation history enveloped those believers in a kind of sacramental darkness to be paired with the joy and the astonishment of the dawn. Easter was an all-night immersive experience on which the whole Christian year turned. But the vigil is an example, too, of how forgetting happens. By the 6th century, the vigil ended at midnight with a morning mass to then mark the day. Now, give or take a thousand years from there, by the 16th century, Holy Saturday was observed as a day of penitence and waiting, and masses, the Holy Eucharist, was forbidden. But by then, Easter was really a Sunday-only affair anyway. And so we'd lost something of the imagery of darkness pouring into the dawn, of grief paired with joy, of celebration and grace that journeys through both. But thankfully, it's coming back. We've rediscovered something. The Roman Catholic Church in the 50s and the Episcopal Church in the 70s began to reclaim it. Don't tell anybody that the Orthodox kept doing it the whole time. And by now, we're rediscovering this year by year, and we're trying it new ways. And here we are tonight in a new way. And I'm so grateful for you all. But we are not here tonight to discuss the vigil, to celebrate it. We're here for something else. I realize that the great Episcopal blind spot is to get so wrapped up in our P-O-M-P that we forget what it's really about, right? I say that as someone who really likes the pomp, so it's okay. But now I'm also someone who needs, now more than ever before, to be able to sit up through the terrible night and know that Jesus waits with me. To know that yes, everything is going to be all right, and to know on those dark nights when everything is most certainly not all right and won't be getting better for a while, to know that Jesus is with me then too. I don't need explanation, and I don't need soothing, and I'm not even sure I need theology sometimes. What I need is Jesus, alive and embracing me, taking away the sting of death, and holding me in moments of heartache. And because of that, 
I need as much as those first Christians and as much as Jesus' close friends, I need to wait through the night for the truly impossible to happen. I need to see Jesus. I need to see my stone. I need to see all the stones in our lives rolled aside. I need to see the stone rolled aside. I need to touch his wounds and I need my impossible to be cast to the bottom of the sea. I need to see that Jesus has destroyed death forever. This evening in the darkness, we sit in vigil with Christians around the world and throughout history. The darkness is the setting where we witness the resurrection together. It is the darkness is beautiful. It's a sensory veil over our silly assumptions that we have it all figured out, that we're somehow better, more knowledgeable, or wiser than those first followers who stayed up through the night to pray their way through the Paschal mystery, who prayed for healing and peace and forgiveness and new life and all those things for which our hearts ache as well. We're here because the darkness is good for us. It's good for our memory. It softens the fluorescent wash of modern life. The machines and messages that somehow dull both our humanity and our divinity. The darkness tones down the sensory overload, doesn't it? The distractions that fade and pixelate the contours of these most sacred stories. It is ironically in darkness that I think we best remember who we are. And that God's story is our story. This is the night when we join the eternal song of Christians who claim a deeper life than what this world offers. The Paschal flame is the same fire, the same fire that warmed the people of the church's first years. Indeed, of its first weeks, days, and hours. Through it, we become part of this living body of Christ. This is the night when all who believe in Christ are delivered from the gloom of sin and are restored to grace and holiness.